Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. We want to dig into the Word today um, in, in regards to this month has really been a month of talking about family. And last week I talked about the importance of bringing instruction, bringing instruction to our children. So if you don't have children, okay, or you have adult children now, or, um, you know, you never plan to have children, this message is still for you. Because guess what? We can be, uh, we can be spiritual mothers and fathers to people as well, correct? Like we can, we can really have people that we're mentoring uh, through life. And so today I want to talk a bit about the Christian marriage and the Christian family. And uh, I want to start with saying this. There's three things that parents need to impart to their children to have a healthy family. Three things. Say three things. So the first thing that we're dealing with is the, the whole um, idea of, of instruction. You know, it's very important that we give instruction to our children. And I know for myself, there's been times where um, I've, I've brought discipline to my kids and I've said things like, why are you doing that? And then I, I ground them or something. And they're like, well, I didn't know it was wrong. How many have been there, right? And there's been times where I've kind of forgot step one. I haven't given the instruction clearly. And, and then we just expect kids to know better. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, instruction is very, very important. Okay? And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 to 9, just a quick summary of last week. It says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So this is step number one. Uh, Everything that we do in God is, is because we love God. It, it, we have to be rooted and grounded in a love relationship with God. You might, know, you might not know this today, but I'm here to tell you that God loves you. He cares for you more than you could imagine or think. Say, so how do you know that, Pastor? Well, the Scripture tells me that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because His whole purpose was to have a relationship with His people. So you might feel like God doesn't love you. I don't care how you feel or the thoughts you're dealing with. I'm here to tell you God loves you. God wants you. That says in the book of James, the spirit yearns jealously for your affection. God wants you to talk to him. God wants you to have a prayer life. He actually likes you. He actually likes you. And that's, we got to get that in our head. He actually likes us. He doesn't only love us, but he actually likes us. He wants to be with us. And so that being said, um, if we focus on having a love relationship with God, having an intimate relationship with God, because of our love for God, we will give ourselves to obedience to his word. And that's what the, the verse says. You must commit yourself wholeheartedly to the commandments that I'm giving you today. A lot of people will pick up a Bible and say, okay, I'm going to try to do this because I want to make God happy or I want to stay out of hell or I just want to, you know, I, I just know it's the right thing to do. But I'm here to tell you that it's first out of relationship. If you wholeheartedly love God, you will wholeheartedly obey the word of God because God's word is there not to restrain you, but it's to protect you and it's to set you on the right course. Does that make sense? And so I know I like Pastor Peter's example that he shares about the stop sign. How many know that a stop sign's there to protect you? And so if you pull up to the stop sign, you're like, oh, here's the law again telling me I have to stop. And you pull up and you don't look both ways. You just pull up quickly and go again. Did you fulfill the purpose of the law? No, because someone's going to sideswipe you because you never look both ways. 
right? But if you realize that stop signs are not to control you, it's not to make you late, it's not to mess up your dinner date, it's actually to stop you, to protect you from the car that's coming this way, amen? And that's why God's word is here for us, it's to protect us and it's to protect relationships one with another and our relationship with God. Does that make sense? Okay, so love the Lord with all your heart, commit yourself to his teachings that I'm giving you today. And then the, the verse 7 says, repeat them again and again to your children. There has to be a repetitiveness of instilling the values of God to our children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Okay? So because you love God, you give yourself to his ways. Then you begin to instruct your children to follow you as you follow the scripture. Okay? And the most important thing is to understand the purpose of all biblical teaching is to restore and to protect relationship. The Bible says this is the Word of God. How many know the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit? That that sword has been meant as an offensive weapon against the enemy of our souls, not against one another. And I don't know about you, but I'm really tired of seeing people who claim to be Christians take the Bible and start attacking each other and using scriptures to do it. How many of you are tired of that, right? You know, if you don't agree with what somebody else is teaching in the Bible, pray for them. The Bible says, love your enemies. How much more can we love each other when we're messed up, right? But it's not a weapon that we use against each other. It's actually a healing balm. It's there to heal relationships. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. But whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Jesus says in the next verse, he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that John 3, 16, it's all about God wants to restore a relationship. God wants to have a relationship with people. He's trying to make a way so that we can come into relationship with him. And then everything on the other side of John 3, 16 is about how to restore relationships with one another. And how to care for people, how to love your enemies, how to do good to those who persecute you. And God begins to show us how we can be like him. It's all about relationship. And if you take anything away from this message today, I want to encourage that when you talk with your children and you're training them in the ways of the Lord, say the word of God is not here to, to, to hold you back. It's here to empower you so you can have great relationships. If you will follow God's word, you'll have great relationship with God. And you have protection and relationship with one another. Is that good news? But the enemy wants to make it about, oh, well, I can't do this, I can't do that. So God's holding out on me, and it's not that way at all. How many would attest to that, okay? And so we want to instill the truth that God's commands are to protect us. So the first thing is instruction, say instruction. The second thing that we need to instill in our children is discipline. Discipline is actually a sign of love for another. And I'm not going to talk today about different types of discipline because there's different types of parenting disciplines that you can practice as a parent. It's a choice. You can ground. You can, you know, timeouts. You can, uh, some parents are still spanking, stuff like that. If it's done correctly, there's different ways of disciplining children. We're not going to get into that today. But what we want to talk about is what the purpose of discipline is. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 9, it says, And you have forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as children. And he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. Next verse. 
For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his children. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Discipline is something that's really, really important. We don't hear a lot about it today. Because today we're growing up with a humanistic foundation. It's not a Judeo-Christian foundation anymore in our school systems. It's a humanistic, because of the whole process of evolution, you have to guide and direct your kids, but you cannot instruct them. And you cannot train them up because uh, there's an evolutionary process. And we don't have time to get into that either. But the Bible says to train your children in the way that they should go. Okay? And we have to understand this process that God wants us to bring correction if the instruction is not obeyed. It's so important. Okay? Because um, if you're a friend to your children when they're young... This can breed disrespect when they're older. And I've seen where parents are like, oh, I'm just my kid's friend. I'm going to be an ear for my kid, but I'm not going to instruct them. I'm not going to discipline them because maybe you're dealing with rejection issues or something. You don't want your kid to reject you. I don't know. But the point is, so, so you, you don't, you don't dis- become your, your kid's friend. When you get older, they're not going to respect you. But if you become a disciplinarian and an instructor when they're young, when you get old, they're going to be your best friends. And, 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 and we don't appreciate the discipline when we're young, but when we get older, we get a bit of wisdom. We go, I see why my parents were hard on me. I see why they wouldn't let me go to, you know, the rave or wouldn't go to this party or hang it with these friends. And I didn't like it, but now I appreciate it because of where it's taken me. See, God wants us to have integrity and character so we can carry the calling and the mandate that he has for our lives. And, you know, when I was, when I was young, um, I don't know what it was. I had this thing where I always, people around me got hurt all the time. And uh, I kind of got a kick out of it. I, I hate, it's kind of bad, but I, I, I would always hurt people around me. And my brother, uh, I don't know what it was, but there was, I had a pellet gun my dad had bought me. And I was shooting cans and I was shooting, you know, you know whatever would move. And, and, and so, so I see my brother and the pellet gun sitting there and I said, you know, I don't want to shoot him with a pellet because I would really hurt him. But there's a bowl of peanuts there, and I think maybe a peanut would be soft enough. So I took the peanut, put it in it, cocked it, shot him in the rear end. He squealed like a pig. I, it was like this squealing, like he was screaming. And so my dad comes down. His pants come down. He's got this purple welt. And I got a purple well, too, actually. I, I, my dad, man, he was like, that's it. And he got out his little paddle stick, and he gave me a spanking, and I'll never forget it. Um, but I had this thing where I was just kind of like, I got around people, and they got hurt all the time. Another time, I had my, my youngest brother. Uh, we're out playing with um, throwing knives. And uh, it's not enough to throw it at a target. And I know with me, I can't hit the bright side. Of, I cannot hit a barn door. Like... The broadside of a barn, they say. I, I have a bad aim, right? So I thought, I'm just going to throw it up in the air. I'll never hit my brother, right? Like, I don't know what I was thinking. So he's, he's running, and I, I just threw it up in the air like I'm pretending I'm throwing it at him. And for the first time, I had good aim. It actually does this. He stops. And I'm like, no, keep running. No. Thing comes down, sticks in the top of his head. And then he, run, he runs past me screaming, Dad, he's screaming, and he's got a knife, and I'm chasing him, trying to get the knife out, right? 
And I'm telling you, again, you know, my dad's paddle had fellowship with my rear end. It was horrible. And, and this is the kind of stuff I did. And then another time, I was with my cousin Kirsten, and her, her dad built her this seesaw teeter-totter. Do you remember those things? And it would go up like six feet. And we were going up, and I thought, this would be fun. I wonder what it would be like if I slide off the end when she's at the top. I'll get a kick out of this. So I slide off the end. She had her legs wrapped under the thing, came down, broke her legs, broke her legs. She had a cast. And it was like I was constantly getting in trouble. And I'm going to tell you something. Um, I didn't appreciate my dad's response to anything I was doing in those days. He was not happy about it. He let me know. But then what? something began to happen. I, I suddenly, before I was about to do something stupid, I would remember, okay, there's going to be a consequence for this action, right? And our children need to know, number one, that we love them, we care for them, we have the best things planned for them, but there's a consequence if you get out of line. How many hear what I'm saying? And, 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 and we're not hearing a lot of that teaching today, but the Bible says it's important who, if you love your children, you need to discipline them. So the first thing is, instruction. The second thing is discipline. And the third thing that's important is encouragement. I'm not going to cover that today, but we need to have all three. We have to be giving instruction, disciplining, and then encouraging them when they're doing well. Saying, I believe in you. You know, because how many know kids go to school, they go through life, and other kids are not always nice, and there's persecution, and they, you know, they make fun of, you need to be the one to get in their court. Say, I'm in your corner. I believe in you. You can do it. Amen? And so those are three things that are really important. So God's very interested in the restoration of home. He's not just interested in you. He's interested in your whole family. He's interested in the next generation. And when God was dealing with Jeremiah, he was dealing with the nation and calling the nation to come back into relationship with him. And he made this statement in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 1. He says, At the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Listen, God wants to be the God of your family, not just you. So if you're in this place and your kids are not interested in God and your friend and your, uh, or your parents aren't, whoever it is in your family, God is going after them, so keep praying for them. Amen? God cares about your family. God cares about you. And when I read the Scripture, I see that God cares so much about family that He makes it imperative that the leaders, like five-fold ministry, pastor, prophet, teacher, people who are leading in the house of God, must have a model home at home. They need to be able to have a good functioning thing at home. Because how many know the church and the home are like similar? Okay? Because the home is not an organization. It's a relational organism that grows. It's relational. And so is the church. The church is about relationship. All right? And so I want to look at uh, <clears throat> how God dealt with it. God rebuked or judged leaders whose ministry did not effectively begin on the home front. Okay? Moses was not allowed to lead Israel out of bondage until his own son was in proper covenant relationship with him. And his wife was like, you know what? Back in those days, I'll say this, back in the days of the Old Testament, in order to be a child of God, you had to be circumcised as a male. Thank you, God, we don't have to do that today. But in that dispensation of time, you had to be circumcised as a sign that you're in covenant with God. And Moses' wife, Zipporah, was like, I got an issue with that. 
I don't want my son. I don't want the force. Like, that's just, we're just not going to do that, Moses. So Moses is like, yes, dear, happy wife, happy life. So they're heading into deliver the people of Israel. And look, God, look what happens here. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met and sought to kill Moses. God was like, you can't do this. And Zipporah took a sharp stone and said, oh, oh, we better deal with this. And this is gory, I'm sorry. And she cut off the foreskin of her son and, and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So, so he let him go, the Lord. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So obviously there was a, they were having a conversation about this. Because God was saying, You cannot go and lead my people if your own family isn't in covenant. Amen? And so God requires that families uh, would attempt to walk in the ways of God. There was, a, there was a priest in the Old Testament. His name was Eli. How many heard of Eli? Eli was a priest that actually uh, we hear about Samuel the prophet. And he was basically the one responsible for raising up Samuel, training Samuel in his priesthood, Right? Hannah had the baby. Remember, the lady couldn't have the baby. She brought him, and she dedicated him to the Lord. And he was raised in the house of Eli the priest. So Eli was respected as a man of God, but because he failed as a priest in his own home, he lost his priesthood. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it says here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11 to 13, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In the day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows about. Because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. He was doing some homework for you. Go back and read it. Because his sons were doing really, really bad things. And he did not restrain his children. He let them do what they were doing and didn't correct them and didn't disciple them. And, and because of that, he lost his priesthood. Okay? And so God chooses leaders on the basis of their faithfulness to their own family. In fact, we see Abraham, who is the father of us all. We see Abraham... Uh, with great covenant promise because he knew he would be faithful at home. God said, this man will be faithful in his house, so I'm going to use him to be the father of many nations. We see this here, a promise in Genesis chapter 18, verse 18 to 19. It says, for Abraham will become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the ways of the Lord. God singled Abraham out because he knew that he would direct his children to serve the Lord and do what is right and just. Then, say then, I will make for him, I will do for him all that I promised. And so God is looking for us as leaders. And if you're in this place, you're a leader. You're not a follower. God has said you're the head and not the tail. He's looking for us to, to say, I'm not only going to be concerned for my own welfare, but I'm actually going to teach the ways of the Lord to the next generation. And then God will do everything he's promised. Because guess what? It's not just about us, is it? Right? God is so faithful. All right? Actually, God made faithfulness at home a criteria for New Testament leadership. 
So please pray for, pray for me. Pray for my wife. Pray for Pastor Peter and Anita. Um, because we're, we're like you. We're on a journey. We don't have it all together. I don't have the perfect family. I don't have the perfect marriage. Uh, but but I, I'm moving towards it. I'm, I'm on a pilgrimage. How many, how many hear what I'm saying? And so we need to pray for one another so we can do better at everything we do. But look what God says here. All right. Um, 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. For an elder must handle his own affairs well, attentive to his own children and having their respect. For if someone is unable to handle his own affair, how can he take care of God's church? So God is saying, listen, it's so important that the family life is good because they're going to duplicate that on a larger scale within the house of God. It's so important, okay? And then we see here, God leaves Titus. He says, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in the towns as I instructed you. An elder must be well thought of of his good life. He must be faithful to his wife. His children must be believers who are not wild or rebellious. And so God cares about model homes in the house of God. Okay? And you know what's really amazing as I read the Bible? Um, the bar is lifted for my life. Like the bar is lifted, but it's lowered at the same time. It's lifted but lowered because I see these great leaders in the Bible, prophets. Uh, I see Samuel. I see David. I see Solomon. I see these New Testament saints as well. And they say, hey, man, like if I could just be like them. And then I read something really stupid that they do, and I'm like, yeah, I am like them. It kind of like lifts the bar and lowers at the same time. And I realize, hey, listen, we're all in progress. We all make our mistakes, but we're aiming to do better, right? And God is full of mercy, and God is caring. And so I always used to say, I had a prophet, prophet come and prophesy over me once. And says, you, you're, you have the heart of David. Like, David is a man after God's own heart, and you're a man after God's own heart. And I was like, yeah, it's awesome. I want to be like David. But then I realized David wasn't a really good parent. He was a really good king, and he was a really good lover of God, but he was lacking on the parental skills. So I was like, okay, that gives, you know, that gives me grace too, right? But look what it says here. David failed to impart godly values to his children. While David was a man after God's heart, many of his offspring were not led into the same experience. In Samuel, uh, 1 Kings 1, verse 5 and 6, about that time, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, decided to make himself king in the place of his aged father. So he, he disrespected his father. So he provided himself with chariots and horses and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, what are you doing? Okay? Isn't that crazy? He never disciplined himself at any time. So that means he was a distant father. I don't know if he was too busy being the king or if he was too busy doing whatever he was doing, but he didn't take time to discipline his son, and so his son became a problem in the future. Okay? Adonijah was very handsome and had been born next after Absalom. So that's David. Now let's look at Samuel the prophet. Now Samuel the prophet was a prophet who when he walked into a town, people would tremble. Because when Samuel spoke the word, God showed up. 
He, he's a mighty prophet. He's mentioned all through the Bible. Samuel, the prophet. But when he went home, his kids didn't take him seriously. He was a prophet to the nations, but at home, it, it was like, eh, what are we going to do with this? You know, yeah, it's just dad. And we see that in the scriptures here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 and 5. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Adijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money, they accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. Finally, the leaders of Israel met Ramah to discuss the matters with Samuel. Look, they told him, you're now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king like all other nations have. And so I wonder sometimes, this is my opinion, I could be wrong, because I wasn't there, you guys weren't there. But who trained Samuel? Eli. And Eli had some parenting issues. He didn't discipline his son. Maybe he learned that from Eli. I don't know. But his sons were not like him. His sons were not like him. And so we see this, this situation here. Um, and with David's case, the rebellion of Adonijah actually led him to his death. And that really spoke to me because I realized something that you can be like David, and you can lock yourself in a room with a harp and worship God for six hours a day and pray for your kids, pray for your family. But if you don't discipline them and say to them once in a while, what in the world are you doing? They can go off track. Because the word of the Lord is God commands us to obey his word, and his word says that we're to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. When you get up in the morning, instruct them in the ways. Throughout the days, instruct them on the ways. Teach them the ways of the Lord. Prayer in itself is not always sufficient. We need to do both. Amen? Is that okay? And so God is calling us. And I want to say this here to encourage you. In the Old Testament, we don't see, um, I believe in the New Covenant, it's based on better promises. You might have messed up in your parenting. I know Camille and I have made some mistakes. But the, the, the beautiful thing in the new covenant is we are joint heirs with Christ. We have an ability because the Spirit of God lives. We can pray and we can believe God and God can move despite the errors we made. Does that make sense? So this isn't like for some of you who are sitting there going, ah, I've already blown it. No, 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 no. Even your adult children now can see a change in your life. They can see you following the ways of the Lord. They can be instructed. Amen. And so God, God is working and His grace is always sufficient. And sometimes it's just a minor adjustment, just a minor adjustment. God wants you to deal with one little thing in your family at a time until you get to a place where things are smoother. It's not like, i got to fix all this right now. It never works that way. One thing at a time. As you spend time with the Holy Spirit, God will show you. So can we just take a couple minutes? I want to hit a, uh, put up a slideshow. And talking about how our ministry begins at home. And it really begins by cultivating uh, and modeling a godly marital relationship in your marriage, okay? Now, if you're single, uh, you know, you're no longer married, right? Somebody, there's been a divorce or uh, if you're not married yet, uh, you know, this still applies because the Bible says God is your husband. God, God is there to walk in relationship with you until such time. But... Christian marriages and families. So for those of you who are married, hear this. Remember to pray together. That's the first one. Regular prayer together. 
Good Christian marriage is marked by regular prayer together. The second thing is absolute commitment to each other. Absolute commitment to each other. Moral faithfulness, quality communication, and edifying speech patterns. Edifying speech patterns. These things are really important. Um, these five things, uh, if, we, if we have these things and work on these things in, in our marriage, intimacy skyrockets, right? Because these things, when these things are in place, intimacy is the byproduct. We actually have a course in the church called Caring for the Heart. Pastor Jacques and Sharon run it. Camille and I went through it. Because like a few years ago, we were just kind of like, we have an okay marriage and, you know, we've committed to stay with one another, so we will. But how can we make this better? And we went to the course, right? And it helped. And so we need to, we need to work. How many know you got to work on your marriage? Right? you got to keep falling in love with the same woman or the same man over and over again. That's what it's all about. And, you know, it's funny because I grew up, my uncle and aunt, oh, my goodness. Like, she would go to church. He was not interested in the things of God. He wouldn't go to church the odd time. And they lived separate lives. And I grew up watching this. They, they just kind of, they were there together, but they were. He's on the couch reading the paper. She's doing her own thing. They were never close. And then I didn't see them for six or seven years. And I don't know what happened. When I came back, I was like, get a room, guys. Come on. Really? Seriously? Like, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't want to. They were cuddling and holding each other and all the time linked to arm. And I was like, I grew up watching you guys totally apart. But what they did was they began to, they took a little marriage counseling here, did a little course. They made a decision. Let's work on this. God worked with them and their love for each other went further than it ever went. God can do that. Amen? So be willing to work on your marriages. And after I preach this, I'm going to go home and my wife's going to say, remember what you said. Let's take another marriage course. Okay, so just so you know. We have the same conversations, you know, after church. So it's all good that you guys do. So anyway, here's the second slide. There's, I'll just give you a quick example. These are some things that parents can do. Um, and like I said, if you're a single parent, you can do this as well. These are examples of patterns that we need to bring into our family. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, faith, and purity. So here they are. Number one, word. Like, how are we talking? All right? How is it, what is our lifestyle showing our children? Are we showing love? Are, are we giving them um, the right spirit, atmosphere? Are we creating a right atmosphere in our home? Are we uh, talking about our struggles, or are we talking about them in faith, saying God's bigger than them? Are, are we showing them what faith looks like practically? All right? Are we making sure that our words are pure? So these are things that Paul is speaking to Timothy, but this is something we can instill in our homes as well. Amen? This is what God wants us to do. This means you also have to pay attention to the things that uh, create or affect an atmosphere in your home, like music, for example, what's appropriate and what's not, okay? When I was a kid, it was like, you, I mean, it was Christian music only. I'm at a place in my life right now where it's like Christian, secular, it doesn't matter as long as the words are pure, right? Because you can listen to an artist and you know what they stand for and it's a good song and there's, it's clean, there's nothing wrong with that. But then there's other songs you listen to and it's like, 
that's not playing, shut that off. Because it's, you know what I'm saying? The artist is going somewhere with that song. Uh, but, but be very selective. What are you playing in your house? What kind of music is it building the right atmosphere? You know, pictures, posters, books, magazine, uh, television, video entertainment, the hobbies, all the things that you do in your home will create and develop your children for the future. Amen? God wants us to have spiritual leadership in our home. Can I give you guys a few ideas of things you can do with your kids? Okay. Now, there's a, I'm going to list a whole bunch here. And this is actually really, uh, my wife and I only do like two of these things, okay? And, but no word of lie, my parents, when we were young, me and my two brothers, we did all of these things. You're not going to believe it. We did all these things. Okay, go, let's go through them. Number one, conversational prayer. It's very important not to just allow your kids to, uh, you know, just say the Lord's Prayer repetitively or some prayer that, you know, they say before they go to bed because they have to realize they can have a conversation with God. They can talk, hey, this is my day, God. I'm praying for my friends. And you teach them to have conversational prayer. Best way to do that is do it as a family so that everybody sees it. They understand it. Second thing, question and answer. Let's have questions. Let's talk about things you're learning in school. And then if you have questions, I'm going to answer. Question and answers are really important because kids have lots of them. Next, memorization. Scripture memorization. My parents had us memorizing Scripture like crazy. I mean, I remember going to Bible school, and I, like, knew half the New Testament. It was like, it's just every day. You're going to memorize the Scripture. Devotional reading, very important. Worship times. When I get through this, you're going to say, how did you actually have any spare time? Next one, storytelling. Acting out stories. Here's some more methods here. Playing instruments. Singing, sharing, Bible reading, keep going, testimonies, praying for the sick, and composing songs of praise. Now, the testimonies, my parents would always be out. They, they were the type that would go sometimes knock on doors. They'd go look, go to the hospitals, pray for people, and they'd come home and say, hey, you know, we prayed for somebody, and their life changed, and this and that. We heard this growing up constantly. And so I have two brothers, and my parents, we did this every, like, Every week, it was constant, and it, 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 was, it was overwhelming. It got to a point where, like, come on, can you just not be like normal parents? Can you just, can't we just get together and just watch a movie? Like, why do we have to do all of this stuff and come on home from school? And my parents are like, hey, because my mom's a musician. She'd get on the piano, and she'd be like, we're going to sing worship. Come on, guys. And we'd, she'd start doing worship, and we'd come, okay. And she'd go, this is your harmony. This is your harmony. We'd start singing, and then we'd, we'd practice a song. And she goes, great. Tomorrow night, we're going to the old age home. And, uh, you know, that's uh, not the right term. Um, what's the right term for that? Seniors home. Thank you. Uh, we used to call it old age when we weren't so politically correct. But that was, but anyway, <laughs> so the next night we're there and we're all singing and we're doing our harmony. And then it's like, okay, my son is going to share a testimony. I'm like, thanks, mom. And then I'd be like sharing a testimony. And, and then, okay, now we're, we're leaving the store. Hey, let's pray for that person. They're sick, you know. And, and so we had to do this all the time. And it was really like overkill. But you know what? Like, I think I'm doing okay. My other brother is a pastor of a church in Peterborough. And my other youngest brother that I threw a knife in his head, um, he was a worship director at a big church. And now he's not in ministry. He's actually, um, he's a businessman, and he's God's blessing his business. Um, But I think um, my parents did pretty good, right? They weren't perfect. They made their mistakes, trust me. 
We could spend a lot of time there because we all make mistakes. But at the end of the day, what you need to do is you need to go home and spend some time in conversational prayer and say, God, you know, what's one thing I can work on this week or this month with my kids? What's one thing I can implement? And I was sharing with my two younger kids yesterday. We had a little devotional on Philippians chapter 4, 8. It has to do with whatever things are lovely and pure and of good report, whatever things are honorable, think on these things. Kids are like, yeah, that's what the Bible says. So I said, what I want to do for this next month is we're going to focus on making sure that every word we speak to one another as a family is going to be honorable, lovely, good report, and pure. Okay, Dad. So we should probably set up a point system on the fridge. And so if one of us mess up, it's usually me, I mess up first. Put a little line, and the person who gets the most is going to be in big trouble. No, I don't know. We'll figure something out. But to have fun with it. Ask God. Sit down and say, hey, God, what can we work on as a family? And, and, and not be pressured not to feel like I, you know. And if you have adult children, don't ever feel condemned like you've messed up or, you know, I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know the Bible. I did things wrong. Listen, you can still influence adult children with your lifestyle, your instruction, your discipline, and your encouragement mostly at that time. Amen? Did you want to share something, honey? You're good? Lord, help us all, right? Amen? But, you know, the Scripture says, I'm just going to close with this one Scripture. A time is coming when people will not, no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. I will tell you this. I've learned in life that the truth always costs you something. If I want to be in good physical shape, it's going to cost me something. That's why I haven't moved forward too much in that one. I got to exercise. I have to work out, right? I got to eat right. It's going to cost me. The truth costs you something. If you want to, if you want to be a, a doctor, it's going to cost you a lot of money to go to medical school and a lot of time and commitment to get to where you need to go. And for some reason, Christianity in North America is preaching that, you know, Jesus did it all. All you have to do is accept Jesus in your life and keep living. No, if you want to grow in God, you have to work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? So that's what we do. We work it out. And because he loves us, he helps us. Amen? Awesome. Why don't we stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that this week you'll speak to our hearts concerning maybe one area that we need to begin to work on. Because, Lord, we are pilgrims in progress, and you're working with us the works that you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I pray for every home in this place, God, at this time of Thanksgiving. I realize we live in a fallen world, and some of us are getting together with family members where maybe there's issues, maybe there's heartaches, and there's history that's not good history. Would your grace come and cover all that, God? Would you come and breathe and restore families? And just as I preach today, your desire, God, is not just for individuals. Your desire is to see families restored in relationship. God, would this be a time, this Thanksgiving, for restored, broken relationships to come back into line? And they might not, members might not accept you or get saved, but at least there'll be pathways of communication that will reopen for people in this place. In Jesus' name, I pray every family be blessed.
and that your grace is sufficient in all things. And all God's people said, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place and you don't know the Lord, I want you to know that if you put your faith in Jesus, he'll move in by his spirit and he'll transform your life. I want you to think about that this week. And the Bible says all who call out upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do is stand or kneel or get along with the Lord and say, God, I receive you. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. And he'll come in and he'll change your life. I promise you that. I was thinking too, it's holiday, <clears throat> holiday season and it doesn't always represent joy and family for everybody. It's, it, that's the hope and the intent that everybody would have some family or someone that you can love on and that can love you to be with you. But if you don't have that, I want to encourage you to not step into, I'm not saying it lightly, but you know, into self-pity where you just, or isolation. But you, you know, have you heard that saying, if you want a friend, be a friend. You know, if you don't have somebody in your family, why don't you take the initiative? Why don't you, I don't know if you can cook a turkey or you can go out for dinner, invite somebody to go out with you or do something, you know, try and be that one to initiate. We, I think we all can, we, we should try and think about people that might not have family as close in different aspects when there's different holidays, there's Thanksgiving, there's Christmas, there's Easter, there's different times. You know, we need to start being sensitive and look around us and see, you know, is there people that might be sitting alone or might not have somebody or do something, you know? But remember, if you are that person and nobody's come to you, you sometimes people don't know. People don't usually intentionally neglect or hurt people or forget people. But why don't you take an initiative and step out and maybe connect with somebody, look around and see is there somebody else that might be lonely like me or something? You know, I just want to make us think about, like, a little more aware of that as a church we are a family and we're not a perfect family we're a family in in a journey of overcoming but we need to help each other lift each other up pray for each other cover each other where there's areas where we need to strengthen you know we all have those areas thank you for listening we hope that you enjoyed our message if you are in the Quinty West area we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West Trenton Ontario Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.